This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, July 22nd. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Richard Betts steps down from Hospital District Board, County adopts deed-restricted housing procedures, Hark discusses voodoo housing development, and a mountain weather forecast. Richard Betts has stepped down from the Telluride Hospital District Board. After seven years and extensive sacrifices of my time, I'm sad to say that I'm now submitting my resignation from this board under protest. That's Betts speaking at a hospital district board meeting on Friday. His resignation comes after more than half of medical center staff called for his resignation based on alleged physical and verbal harassment by Betts towards Dr. Sharon Grundy at the end of May. Betts had recently been re-elected to the board and served as chair. In his statement, Betts says he has never been the subject of such, quote, outrageous and inaccurate accusations. I'm shocked, saddened, and deeply disappointed not only by the events of May 28th, but also by some of the medical staff and board's response. I cannot believe that after all my many years of volunteer work, I would be the target of so much vitriol and uninformed rage by some medical staff I've worked so hard to support. He went on to share his experience of the incident with Dr. Grundy. I lightly touched Dr. Grundy's arm that day with no intent to offend while telling her we're all in this together. That gesture of support has now resulted in accusations that I'm an attacker and an emotional and physical harasser who has made the entire organization unsafe for any employee. I respectfully but strongly deny these allegations. Betts claims Dr. Grundy allegedly verbally harassed him. Dr. Grundy verbally attacked me in a professional setting for no reason with a lengthy barrage of profanity and inaccurate accusations. I have never been part of any professional organization where that behavior isn't condoned until now. KOTO News reached out to Grundy regarding Betts' allegations. She did not provide comment on the incident itself, but emphasizes her, quote, commitment to moving forward on behalf of the health of the medical center and the people they serve. In his statement, Betts added his displeasure with what he calls the hospital district board's unwillingness to conduct a, quote, fair and neutral investigation into the incident. I cannot, in good conscience, continue to work in an organization that punishes those who tell the truth and fails to take any action against those who undermine the efficient operations and professional environment of the organization. Hospital district officials say the board took steps to reach a resolution regarding the incident. Betts concludes his resignation from the board is not an admission of wrongdoing. But to remove myself from an increasingly dysfunctional organization that seems too easily swayed by the loudest accusation and is apparently incapable of fairly resolving disputes or properly managing adverse yet undeniable financial information. I will always proclaim my innocence from these baseless accusations, and I will aggressively defend myself in any future action. But ultimately, I only wish the best for the Tayrad Region Medical Center, its employees, and the important work for the community you all do every day. Nearly 80 members of the community attended the board meeting. Following Betts' resignation, several provided public comment to show support for Dr. Grundy. Jimena Rebollero Leon is a nurse at the Telluride Medical Center. I want to thank Dr. Grundy for her 
21 years of service, leadership, and just phenomenal, phenomenal um, work that she has done. I want to thank all of the community members that showed up today. Um, truthfully, I'm, I'm so moved by the community support. So thank you. And, um, and as a nurse, I just want to say we're... We're very excited to be able to focus on what's most important, which is taking care of our patients um, and showing up to work feeling appreciated, heard, and safe. Dr. Deanna Colliker, Director of Emergency and Trauma Services at the Med Center, called for patience and grace. We are the heart of this community, and the people in this organization are trusted and needed by everyone. That is both a burden and a gift. I am unwavering in my commitment to this community and to this entire organization. People ask me often when they see me, how am I doing? What do I need? Here's what I need. I need calm heads to allow us to continue doing the vital work that we do at the medical center. Our job is difficult enough without a constant din of noise in the background. Many things have changed, but even more has not. And our commitment to providing excellent care to our community has not and will not change. I ask for some grace from all involved parties to allow processes to play out. I ask for some grace to try and remember that everyone is here for the same reason and everyone has the same goal. And when you communicate with others, please do so with kindness and compassion and an attempt to understand where everyone is coming from. The hospital district board accepted Betts' resignation in a vote 3-0, to zero, with Rob Pinkert abstaining from the vote. Following Betts' resignation, the board named Paul Reich as chair of the hospital district board. San Miguel County has formalized protocols for administering deed-restricted housing in the area. This week, the Board of County Commissioners, sitting as the San Miguel County Housing Authority, adopted procedures to guide staff who are managing deed restrictions. I think it will help to give both applicants and owners some some idea what, what to do or where to go. That's Lois Major, special counsel for the County Housing Authority, briefing the commissioners at this week's meeting. Procedures have been drafted in the past, but have never been fully adopted by the BOCC. According to a memo prepared by Major for the meeting, adopting the procedures will ensure consistency and fairness for everyone. Some of the key points are around exceptions for when someone doesn't meet all the requirements for a deed restriction. According to the protocols, a property now has to be listed on the San Miguel Regional Housing Authority website before the Housing Authority will consider exception requests from intended purchasers. The County doesn't have price caps, so the way to have um, the market tell the person what's going on is for the people who don't need the exceptions to have a chance to negotiate or buy or look at it. And so we realized that before it's scooped off the market by someone requiring an exception, it should have to sit on the market at least a little bit. Courtney McElaney is the SMRHA manager. She says exceptions don't come up too often. She estimates maybe once every other month. Maybe five to ten times a year would be a good 
number. Still, she explains, the waiting period supports the overall goal of the deed restriction program, which is to house qualified purchasers who don't need exceptions. The BOCC and SMRHA were hearing a lot of these exceptions, but we want to give the opportunity for people who are already qualified to get into that housing. The newly adopted procedures also require staff to provide a recommendation to the commissioners when they consider exception requests. Here's Major and McElhaney. The reason for that is the staff works with these people day to day. They know kind of what the temperature is out there. I think that just helps provide that context because we might have a longer or more robust history of the applicants. The recommendations, though, aren't binding. The new procedures also explain staff should meet with new owners to discuss the rights and responsibilities around deed restriction. Major again. And I think with respect to people who are buying in, like three to six months after they purchase, to check and say, hey, how's it going? What do you, what's, and so they don't end up at 18 months out of compliance and in trouble. The commissioners approved the new procedures outlining the administration of deed restriction housing two to zero. Commissioner Hillary Cooper was not at this week's meeting. The Voodoo Housing Development, a new Telluride affordable housing project, is still slogging its way through the design approval process. This week, Telluride's Historic and Architectural Review Commission met once again to discuss the design for the new building. The development in question sits on a lot on the corner of Willow and Pacific, just across from the post office. The town of Telluride owns the property and plans to develop it for mixed use. This uh, proposal includes demolishing the Voodoo Studios, the skate park and the non-historic shed, removal of the community, community room, which is attached to the Marshalls building, and new construction of a mixed-use building with 29 units of affordable housing and a deed-restricted commercial space with on-site parking and rehabilitation of the historic shed as a commercial space. That's Jonna Wenzel, Historic Preservation Director for the town of Telluride, providing a summary to the commission. She adds the plan also includes public restrooms and a relocation of the free box. In Hark's consideration of the project, it looks at four overall design principles. Keep it simple, keep it in scale, respect historic resources, and make all new design compatible with the existing context. According to CCY Architects, the firm designing the building, they're trying to mix building forms to break down the perceived mass and scale of the building, use historic gabled roofs for variety, blend the existing warehouse character, and highlight the surrounding historic buildings. The building is a mix of one, two, and three stories, with some four-story pieces pushed back. When it comes to how that design fits in with the Hark principles, Hark members have concerns. Over the course of three hours, committee members go back and forth debating whether to require the architects to make the building shorter, push it further back from the lot line, make the windows more proportional. But even with conditions to adjust the design, for Hark member Sherry Harvey, the plans don't fit within the historic landmark district. I would make a motion to deny the project. I really do not think that even with all of this, it's this is not something that fits within our historic district. If the lines of the historic district went around this, great. But I do not think that applying these guidelines and manipulating this a few feet here and there still means that this fits in our district. But Hark Chair Mark Shamba wants to give the architects a chance. I really think with the strides they made this time, 
if they can make, I hate to say, almost equal strides at one more hearing, I think this could be approvable. I would hope that it would be. In the end, Hark approved continuing its discussion on the voodoo development with a number of conditions, including reducing the height of the development, stepping the building back from the lot line, and stepping back third-story elements to reduce the appearance of mass and scale. The Hark board plans to continue its discussion on the voodoo development at its meeting on August 17th, with the possibility of continuing the conversation at its September meeting. It's fair to say we live in a digital world, and artificial intelligence is here to stay. But how does that influence the future of medicine? That's the topic of conversation at a talk next week hosted by the Wilkinson Public Library and the Pinhead Institute. The talk will feature Stefan Rummel, an associate director at the Janssen Pharmaceutical Companies of Johnson & Johnson. Rummel is currently working to develop speech-based capabilities in clinical trials, including conversational AI and speech biomarkers, with the object of creating novel clinical outcome measures in the areas of neuroscience and Alzheimer's. The science talk on AI and digital health will take place at the Wilkinson Public Library on Monday, July 25th at 5.30 p.m. The Telluride R1 School District Board of Education is looking for a new member. A seat is open on the board following Jenny Ward's resignation. Ward served on the school board for seven years and recently accepted the position of counselor at the Telluride Middle School. The school board will appoint a new member to serve for the remainder of Ward's term until the seat is up for election in November 2023. Applicants for the position must be a resident of the school district, be a registered voter for at least 12 months, and never have been convicted of certain crimes against children, including sexual assault. Interested individuals must submit an application, including a letter of interest in the position. The appointed applicant will need to undergo a background check. Applications for the position are open through August 18th. The school board will hold interviews on August 25th to appoint the new member at its August 29th meeting. Colorado Parks and Wildlife is asking anglers to stop fishing during the afternoon in the Animas River through Durango, the Dolores River below McPhee Reservoir, and the San Juan River through Pagosa Springs. The voluntary fishing closure is due to hot river temperatures, reaching over 70 degrees last week, making stream flows 50% below daily average. According to CPW, the conditions put extra stress on fish, making it difficult for anglers to safely release the fish once they're caught. CPW officials urge anglers to avoid fishing during the afternoon and seek high-elevation trout lakes and streams where water temperatures are more suitable. CPW biologists will regularly monitor temperatures on the rivers in the coming weeks to determine when conditions have improved. Colorado is launching a $1.8 million grant program aimed at getting youth from underserved communities into the great outdoors. KOTO Scott Franz has more. Colorado Parks and Wildlife says the money will remove barriers that keep people from getting outdoors. That could mean help buying gear or finding training. The program is funded by the Colorado Lottery. Parks and Wildlife Director Dan Gibbs says more people applied than the state had money for. 170 applicants came in and there was $10.8 million of asks. So we know there's a lot more work 
um, that needs to be done. A Loveland nonprofit promoting diversity in paddleboarding is one of the dozens of groups getting the first round of money. Other recipients include Black Packers, a Colorado Springs nonprofit that offers free guided excursions. I'm Scott Franz. Democratic U.S. Senator Michael Bennett is running for re-election this year and will face Republican businessman Joe O'Day in the November midterms. Rocky Mountain Community Radio's Gavin Dahl recently spoke with Senator Bennett on a variety of issues, including federal efforts to protect abortion rights and his concerns about our democracy. The U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade last month. You and quite a few Democratic colleagues have introduced legislation called the Freedom to Travel for Healthcare Act to protect the right to cross state lines to seek reproductive health care. How exactly are you trying to protect women with this bill? You know, this is the first time in American history that a fundamental constitutional right has been stripped from the American people, and it's a tragedy for our society. It's a tragedy for women all over this country. And we can't have this ruling be the last word. We've got to elect people to Congress and to state legislatures to make sure that a woman's right to choose is protected. You know, the Supreme Court didn't ban abortion, but they overturned Roe versus Wade. And there are states around the country that have banned abortion, but that's not enough. They're now trying to pass laws that would make it illegal for women to go from one state to another to access abortion services. Think about that for a second. I mean, the idea that they would have law enforcement chasing women down, this bill would simply say that states can't do that. And it certainly seems to me that if you look at the Commerce Clause and and understand anything about the Constitution, that such a law would be constitutional. But I, I would also say we should ask ourselves for a moment what it means if we turn into a society where elected politicians are passing laws to restrain women from moving from one place in America to another place in America. There are hard feelings on both sides of this issue. I understand that. But, you know, I have always believed that this should be a decision between a woman and her doctor, not the state, not elected officials telling them they have to carry a pregnancy to term. But now they're not even just saying that. They're saying, we are going to restrict your movement, not allow you to travel outside our state. That is despicable, I think. Another controversial decision from the Supreme Court last month constrains the Environmental Protection Agency's authority to limit pollution and protect public health. How significant is this rollback of the Bipartisan Clean Air Act? It is worrisome. I mean, the decision ignores the clear authority that the Clean Air Act gives the EPA to, you know, to help keep our communities healthy and safe. And with climate change bearing down on the entire American West, the changes in Colorado over just the last decade in terms of the scale and scope of the fires that we've been having, the drought that's really dramatically affecting our farmers and our ranchers, the fact that the Colorado River has only half the water in it. The last thing we should be doing is stripping us of tools we need to be able to clean up our air and water and deal with climate pollution. So I'm not giving up. There's another one where I think Donald Trump put on some very, very extreme people outside the mainstream of conventional American thought. I know there's some people that support that, but I think, you know, 70% of Americans support a woman's right to choose. I think a, a, a similar number want us to deal with the climate challenges that we face, but we can't give up. We're just going to have to find other ways of doing it. I think we know we're not going to turn fossil fuels off today or tomorrow. We know that our, you know, if we can 
capture the future of methane that results today in the production of natural gas and the transportation of natural gas. If we do everything we can to clean that up, you know, we're able to, you know, lower emissions in this country and, and transition over time to renewables and to nuclear and to other forms of energy that we haven't even invented yet. You know, I, I believe that the United States will lead the entire world in this transition. And I'm confident that if we're honest about the challenges that we face and straightforward about what it will look like to migrate into this new energy environment, that it will take time, but that we have to put ourselves on a path that reduces emissions and meets the climate goals in 2050, I have no doubt we can do it. You've called the West Virginia versus EPA ruling judicial malpractice. My question is, from extreme decisions by the Supreme Court stripping away constitutional rights to you know, the insurrection in the nation's capital led by right-wing extremists supporting Donald Trump, is it your feeling that our fundamental democracy is in crisis? I do think that our democracy is extremely fragile, and not just ours, but democracies all over the world. I view Donald Trump's election not as the cause of all of our problems, but as a symptom of the fragile nature of our democracy. And I hope it will be a wake-up call for the American people. You know, I think that a lot of people are going to be shocked when it sinks in that a fundamental right that's been with us for 50 years has been overturned by a right-wing Supreme Court. I think they're going to be shocked. And that is the result of Donald Trump's election, which, by the way, I think in part was the result of an economy in this country, including on the western slope of Colorado. You know, basically since trickle-down economics started with Ronald Reagan for 50 years, we've had an economy that, you know, when it grows, it grows for the top 10 percent, but it doesn't grow for anybody else. And when people start to lose a sense of opportunity, that's when someone shows up sometimes and says, I alone could fix it. You don't need a democracy. You know, you should expect your public sector and your private sector to be hopelessly corrupt, which is what Donald Trump, that was the message that he gave us, and that's the way that he led the country. So I think we need to get our act together so that we don't end up, you know, with him again as president. And we need to create in this country, uh, in rural America and in urban America, an economy, when it grows, it actually grows for everybody. People can see opportunity for themselves and for their families. And I have no doubt we can do it. I know we can do it. And we've got a real opportunity ahead of us now. I mean, look at what's happened in the world today. We had Trump elected here. We've seen a strong man elected in other places around the world as well. But we've also seen Putin invade Ukraine and get his nose smashed as a result of that because his totalitarian system didn't tell him the truth about how weak his army was and how incredibly brave and effective the Ukrainian people would be at fighting back at him. So that's a huge black mark for totalitarianism. And I think there's a realization, certainly one shared by me, that a lot of promises that we made over the last decades about prioritizing people in the economy that wanted to make stuff as cheaply as possible in China turned out not to be true. That means that we need to build supply chains here in our country. It means that we need to have an economy that focuses on our national defense, I think, and figuring out how to bring supply chains back to the U.S. and also to the Western Hemisphere itself. There's huge amounts of opportunity here, and 
I talked to a guy recently in Montrose who has a small manufacturing company that's competing with the Chinese. And he said to me, you know what, Michael, you know what my competitive disadvantage with China is? I said, what? He said, the fact that I cannot rent a place in Montrose that doesn't cost me more than half of my income. And I and two of my employees are having to sleep on my shop floor. You know, that's the kind of stuff we need to be focused on so that we've got an economy that people feel like They've got a productive role to play in, and I have no doubt that the United States of America can do that. That was Senator Michael Bennett, a Democrat who represents Colorado in the U.S. Senate, speaking with Rocky Mountain Community Radio's Gavin Dahl. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for a 20% chance of showers and thunderstorms tonight, with partly cloudy skies and a low around 60 degrees. Saturday calls for showers and thunderstorms with increasing clouds. The high is near 80 degrees with a low in the mid-50s. Sunday expects showers and thunderstorms with a high in the mid-70s. Sunday night, there's an 80% chance of showers and thunderstorms with a low around 55 degrees. This has been the news for Friday, July 22nd. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, personal commentaries. Hi everyone, this is Claire from Telluride Chamber Music. I just want to tell you about a fantastic weekend of concerts we have coming up on July 29th and 30th. For the first time ever, we have a quintet of musicians from the renowned New York Philharmonic coming to Telluride for an amazing weekend of music. The weekend will feature three different events, which offer something for everybody. On the evening of Friday, July 29th, we're holding our first annual fundraising gala at the Telluride Historical Museum. The evening will include an exclusive concert, the chance to meet and chat with musicians of the New York Philharmonic, champagne and appetizers, and the auction of an original art piece by Bruce Gomez. All the proceeds will go to Telluride Chamber Music and to bringing more brilliant year-round concerts to the Box Canyon. Tickets can be purchased at telluridechambermusic.com. For families and kids of all ages, there will be a free concert and workshop of Prokofiev's Peter and the Wolf on Saturday, July 30th, 2pm at the library. This is such a great piece where the story is narrated alongside the music and each instrument represents a different character. Kids of all ages are welcome and encouraged to dress up as the animals or even bring their favourite soft toy. As I mentioned, this is a free event and snacks will also be provided. To round off the weekend, the quintet will be performing a concert at the Sheridan Opera House on Saturday, July 30th at 7.30pm. The programme is a wonderful mix of music for Wing Quintet and features composers such as Ravel, Nielsen and a really fun South American piece by Julio Medaglia. Tickets are between $30 and $45 for adults and $20 to $30 for students and can be purchased from the Sheridan Opera House website, sheridanoperahouse.com. For more information on any of these events, please visit our website, telluridechambermusic.org. We can't wait to see you there. Hey everyone, this is David Nevsky, the Town of Telluride's Public Information Officer. I'm here with our water division manager, Katie Duty. Hey, everyone. 
Hey, Katie. How are you doing today? Oh my gosh, so good. I found a Nike shoe in our wastewater pump, so it's basically like the free box, but it came to my work. <laughs> wow. Um, how did that possibly get down the drain? Well, David, where there's a will, there's a way. But I would like to kindly remind the public to only flush and dump wastewater, although I appreciate the donation of my new shoes. <laughs> well, um, what else isn't allowed down the drain? Oh, come on, David. You got this. You know this. <sighs> All right. Uh, no fats, oils, or greases? Woo! Yep! <sighs> Thanks so much, Katie. All right, everybody. Please stay tuned for more exciting water news in the future from the town of Telluride. Bye. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.